Hey, it's Dusty Otis. Welcome to the Redefined Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you're taking part of your day to join us. I hope this message challenges you. I hope that it inspires you. But more importantly, I hope that it helps you grow spiritually. If you want to be a part of what we're doing here at Redefined Church, you can always support us by going to liveredefined.com forward slash give. I hope you enjoy today's message. Today we're talking and taking a deep dive into who God says you are. And I have a gut feeling that today is going to be powerful, that if you're with me today through uh, through the online ex- experience, if you will, that you're here intentionally, that God has something He wants to say to you, and He wants you to understand or walk away with a better understanding or belief of who He says you are. And so um, if you were ever going to share today's message with somebody, now would be the time to do that, especially you know somebody who's close to you but far from God and needs to know who God says they are. And so before we jump into today's topic, I have to take a moment and identify kind of where we all are with God. I think we are all in different stages of our relationship. We all come from different backgrounds. We have different spiritual maturity levels. And so then we need to kind of figure out where we have God in our life. And so um, what position of authority does God hold for you or hold to you personally? How often are you... um, seeking counsel? How often are you uh, meeting with him? Because if we're ever going to believe who God says we are, we must, we must be intentional with how we have God or where we have God or who God is to us in our lives. And so I wrote it like this, if we're ever going to be, if we're ever going to believe who God says we are individually or as a body, we have to understand his position in our life. And so We believe here at Redefined Church that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God, that it is God-inspired. And so it is the truth and that everything in our lives can be measured and weighed and found upon it and found in it. And so then the Bible is the way. And if uh, you have a hard time with this or you're unsure, um, I want to show you uh, something in the Bible. It's really our cornerstone today. It's found in John 1, uh, 1 through 14. And let us just read this together. And here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that He didn't make. Eternal life is in Him, and this life gives light to the human race. That's everybody. Come on, somebody. His life is the light that shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish the light. God sent John the Baptist as a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the true light. John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to identify it. Later on, the one who is the true light, Jesus, arrived to shine on everyone coming into the world. Again, that's the human race. But although he made the world, the world didn't recognize him when he came. Even in his own land, among his own people, he was not accepted. He was not accepted. It's a huge point to remember. Only a few welcomed and received him, but to all who received him, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. John 1.12 is the anchor, is the cornerstone scripture today. But to all who received him, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them. And all those who believe this are reborn, not a physical rebirth resulting from human passion or plan, but from the will of God, from the will of God. And so we see the word was made flesh. Christ became a human being and lived here on earth among us and was full of loving forgiveness and truth. And some of us have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the heavenly father that is full of grace and truth. And so as we look at John 1 today, we see that we have a birthright, that we are sons and that we are daughters. And so then we trust that God is the beginning 
and the end. He's the start and the finish. He's the first and the last. And that he didn't just write us into a story. He made us part of the story, the story of creation. So then in creation, we don't just exist. God writing us into the story means we have a reason and he has a reason for us. And so this morning, as we gather, you're not just a number. You're not just a number. And John, John 1 reminds us the place of authority that God has in our lives. It reminds us that what he says goes. And it reminds us that we have that birthright, that we're sons and daughters, that there's nothing that he doesn't know. And that he is all and is in all and is with all as he came to bring light to the human race. And so this morning, I want to give you one example from Matthew chapter 8 of uh, what somebody who believes just this is. And so this is um, the faith of a centurion. This is Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had enter, entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. So Jesus didn't need any explanation, knew exactly what he was talking about. He says, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, no, 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 I'm not worthy to have you uh, come under my roof. So, but, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. How many of you feel like that this morning? Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm just not worthy. And I can tell you there was a place and a time in my life where I felt that too. I'm just not worthy for you to even come under my roof right now. But if you'll just say the word, if you'll just say the word, I'm sure my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. He was, he was amazed. And he said to everyone who was following him, I tell you this, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And he goes to explain a little bit. And then in verse 13, it says, Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And what I want you to see is, is what did the centurion have? He had a faith. He believed and he didn't have to see. At this time, everybody wanted Jesus to come and they wanted to watch him heal somebody. They had to see it. And the centurion says, no, I know who you, I know who you are. And, and listen, my house is dirty, okay? So you don't want to come to my house. But if you'll just say it, I know. I know in my heart that it'll be done. And that's what God's saying today. If you will just look at what John 1 says, 1, 1 through 14, just trust. Essentially, John chapter 1, verse 12, if you'll just trust it will be done. And so this morning, you might not find your place in, in uh, you find yourself in the same place as a centurion with somebody who's sick or ill, but you might. And you might be ill. You might be facing something financially, or you might be unemployed. Uh, you might be facing um, maybe some strife in a relationship. And I just want to let you know that if you will trust God, if you'll trust God with everything that you have, if you will gen genuinely seek him with no agenda but for his will to be done in your life, he'll meet you. He'll meet you where you're at because he is the first and last. His word means everything. And we base our lives upon that word. And you're never finished with Jesus. As long as Jesus is a part of your life, there is hope and you can have faith in what he has said. And so then... God's authority is greater than anything we can do physically. And regardless of where you have him, if you have him in a box or on a shelf or he hasn't been present in your life or he's been something that you've referenced but you've not been consistent with, today I just want you to know that when he has first place in your life, 
when you live out what Matthew 6, 33 really, really says to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What God does, what God does in your life, in your heart and in everything that you touch is there's not a word for it. It's abundant. It says you'll bear much fruit when you stay connected to him. Um, as we get rolling today, I have a question for you. I actually have a couple questions. So I really like to, um, I like to lead that way or to teach that way. And so when we met in, in a room, it was a little bit different because I get feedback. And so here it's been uh, kind of awkward for me. And so, so the question is, where did you get the thought of who you are? Where did you find your identity as you set today? Um, what is that rooted in? And so who told you who you are or who told you who you're supposed to be or or how did you really get to the place where you would identify and you would say, if you ask the question, who am I? And your response is this, where did you get that from? Where did you get that from? What is it rooted in? And so for a lot of us, it's our parents. It's how we were raised. It's our backstory. It is um, some of its TV. It's what we surround ourselves with. It's what we compare ourselves to, right? The reality TV shows of, you know, who's this and, and, and how they do that. Uh, some of it's Instagram, some of it's the media, some of it's, you know, social media and stuff like that. And what, uh, what we see is that we can't really be fulfilled in life if we're constantly comparing ourselves to fictional characters or, um, or uh, pictures that have been um, critiqued, you know, or photoshopped. And so the constant comparing of others to either TV or social media, what happens is um, it kind of ruins the idea and creates this false version of who you feel like you're supposed to be, who you, who you say that you are. And so then what happens is you end up chasing something that's empty uh, that's called self-esteem that you can find nowhere in the Bible. And we said last week that self-esteem is giving somebody else the authority to tell you who you are. But self-worth is living in who God's called you to be. Self-worth is who God says you are. And so then another great reason to go back and check last week's message. And so all the media really pushes us to be led by our emotions instead of to being led by our spirit. And so then what's in you is from God. We have to get to that point. What's in me is from God. And so then my feelings can't be trusted and neither can those around me who are trying to tell me who I am or how I should be feeling, especially when it comes to media, because we know it's just a roller coaster of ups and downs, right? You find who you are in Jesus. You find who you are in Jesus. And, and if I stopped right here and I said, hey, uh, here's the 10 things that Jesus says you are. This is, who, this is who God says you are. You would tune me out because you're familiar with Scripture and you've read the Bible and you know. And so then I'm not leaving you right here. Uh, this is the length of this. I don't know how it's going to be. It was going to be two parts, but I tried to split it up twice and I couldn't. And so this is one message. And so I just need you to engage and to really dive into who God says you are today with me, because I believe if you will, you're going to walk away with, um, with a sense of identity, a sense of purpose, and a sense of belonging to the kingdom, to the body. And that means more than anything. And so you find who you are in Jesus. And it really is that simple, but it's not that shallow. And so I want you to to take a dive. And if you're taking notes or you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to John 4, 1 John 4, 4. 1 John 4, 4 says, You already have victory because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. If you're from the Bible, you say, Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. What does that mean? It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Their opinion doesn't mean anything. 
Greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. You already have victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And so then don't get caught up listening to the news or the media or scrolling your feeds and looking at the Photoshop pictures and thinking that you're not enough because God says, it's all good. He says, you're enough, right? John 1, 12, if you're taking notes, says, but to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, has he has given the right to become God's sons and daughters. And you need to understand that your royalty, that your royalty, this is our cornerstone scripture, John 1, 12, that your royalty, that you are a son and that you are a daughter today. And so you can't force anything else. Like you, you have the highest strength that you're ever going to have in being a son or a daughter of the king, right? And so then you can't force it. You can buy it or you can try to buy it, right? You can watch it. You can pretend to be it. You can front it, right? But at the end of the day, God says you're his. He says you're a son or you're a daughter. And being a son or a daughter, you understand, especially if you're a parent, that you have the best interest in mind for your kids. Sometimes our kids don't get that. It's the difference between want and need, right? Well, we want all this other stuff, but the reality is, is I know what you need. And God says, I know what you need. You needed a savior. You needed my son. And so I sent him. And so then if you'll just trust me, that's what John 1, 12 is. If you just trust, if you just trust me, all you have to do is trust me, right? And so then remember in the beginning, the word was God. God knew you. God knew you before the world. He says, before the world, I knew you. He called you into existence. He keeps you in existence. And so then in all that, you know, we're, we're milling around that. And sometimes I have a tendency to go fast through this stuff. He called you into existence. That means you are because he is. You are because he is. And so then God operates in the invisible. He operates in the invisible while we operate in the visible, right? And so we want to look to everybody else and everything else to find out our worth. We want to, we want to look to everybody else and everything else to find out who we are. Who, who, who should I be? Oh, well, this week I need to wear that jacket and those shoes because that's what's good right now. And then next week I'll change or next month or, oh, and we're driving this. So we're driving this car now. If I drive this car, I fit in with this crowd because that's who I want to be. And I'm not saying any of that stuff is wrong because God will give you the desires of your heart. But I think before God gives you the desire of your heart, he wants your heart. And when he has your heart, you find yourself flowing just right, just right. And so then. He keeps you in existence. That means he's your protector, right? God operates in the invisible. We operate in the visible. We have become accustomed, though, to looking to others to see what they're all doing instead of looking to God and seeking who to be. We become accustomed to looking at others to see what to do instead of looking to God and seeking who to be. Because the reality is God sees you differently than you see yourself. God sees you differently than you see you. And so then you might see you and you, you know, you're the one who gets to look at yourself in the mirror and you can find the imperfections, man. You can find the imperfections quicker than anybody. I'm the best at that. Heather gets sick of hearing it, to be honest with you. And so, um, (laughs) so anyways, God knew you before the beginning. God knew you were going to look like you do right now. He knew you were going to have what you have right now. God knew you from the beginning before you were born. And before you were born, he still made you in his image and he still knows your heart. He knows you from the top to the bottom and from the inside out. And so no matter what you try to be or how much you do to cover up, he knows who you are and his push, his want, his drive, his desire is for you to know who you are because, because he knows, God knows when you walk in that, we see heaven on earth. 
we see heaven on earth. And so the big question today, if you're taking notes, are you living to become, it's kind of a long question, are you living to become a version of what you thought you'd be or what you think you're supposed to be? Or are you living to become who God says you are? Are you living to become who God says you are? And so then, this should be on the screen, so you should be able to get that screenshotted if you don't like taking notes. The reason I ask you to take notes and write things down and screenshot, because if you don't, you're going to forget 87% of what we talk about today. And so that means you might be looking to me for hope, and I'm just telling you I don't have the hope. The hope is in Jesus and so I just get to be the conduit today. I just get to be the, the PVC pipe that's this delivering, okay? And so he said, what you find is Jesus said he gave you all you needed before you were born. We can't go by what we feel or identify what, by what we do. We have to be who we are. You have to be who you are. We can't go by what we feel or identify by what we do. We have to be who we are. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable, super uncomfortable, right? The best way I know to explain this, this is why you wanted to share this message today. The best way I can, do, I can explain this is to let you know who I am, is to share my story with you. And I believe that what God's going to do um, in using my story to help you is going to be, um, is going to be life-giving. And I think it's going to be freeing, especially as a male. You don't find uh, many men today who believe in God that uh, we kind of get a label and a tag on us because, uh, because the world's the world, right? And so then before I jump into this and start telling you, um, you know, kind of, if this is, if I was going to call it my testimony, I would say this, you either believe or you don't. There's a line. You either believe or you don't. Faith is not a, I feel pretty good today. So that sounds pretty good today. So I think that works today. Yeah, man. Jesus. Okay. Faith works every day. Faith works every day. Big bullet point. Faith does not operate by sensory knowledge. You cannot taste it, touch it, feel it. Whatever else there is. Okay. Faith is believing what you can't see, right? And so there is no how for our, there is no how for how, there is no how for you to walk in who God says you are. There is no how. I can't write it down. I can't, I can't give you a method for you to write or for you to walk in who God says you are. It's a belief. It takes, it takes faith. And so then that's why when we start, I said, we have to identify where we all are and we have to put God and we have to seat him where he's supposed to be in our lives, which is number one right? We have to realize that he is the beginning and the end and all those things that we talked about. So then there's no how for you to walk in who God says you are. God took care of the how when Jesus walked to the cross and he hung on the cross for the entire human race. God took care of the how. So then, so then if you're checking boxes, that box has been checked. There is no how for it. I get asked all the time, how did you do it? How did you do, how'd you move to Michigan? Why? Not why. How'd you sell everything you went and, and had and go there? And then the other one is, how are you doing this right now? How are you doing it? And the, the reality is it's a battle. It is a battle. Everything that you can imagine. It's a battle. And it doesn't matter what answer I give you. It will not fit in a box. Can't tell you how. I can't tell you how. I can't. How we did it or how we're doing it. I cannot tell you. It's unexplainable. 
There's no label for it. There's no box you can put it in. The reality is this. This is going to be on the screen. I am because he is. Period. I can because he did. I believe these with every fiber of my being. And I will because I understand his will. I will because I understand his will. Being here has nothing to do with what I do. It has everything to do with who I am. And it's the same for you. Being in the seat that you sit in has nothing to do with what you do. You can, you can justify it and you can try, but it has everything to do with who you are, with who you are. And so then my story is kind of the tale of two salvations. Just bear with me. You're going to get some good out of this. And so some context, my dad, um, I grew up identifying God with my dad. That's wrong. That's, that's not who my heavenly father is. So I identified my heavenly father, my earthly father is the same person. My dad was gone all the time, which means I got to rack up some pretty big punishments while he was gone. And so then when my dad got home for the weekend or for, you know, two or three days, whenever he was home, that's when I tended to get disciplined or get in trouble. Right. And so it didn't take me long to realize I just need to make dad happy. As long as I make dad happy and keep dad happy, my life tends to be okay. Nothing against my dad. He's doing what he had to do. He disciplined me. I have incredible character. Okay. I'm standing tall today. Right. And so the discipline didn't kill me. It's not any of that. What I want you to see is I quickly started identifying who my dad was with who God was. And that was very wrong, but nobody was there to help me know any different. Right. And so then as we, as we jump a little bit farther, what happened is, is my dad got home and I started getting that uh, I started following that trend. It didn't take me long to understand how to play the game. And that's essentially what I became when I got saved was I became a really good churchgoer. I became a really good churchgoer. And so my dad got invited to church my sophomore year of high school. My dad is in the 90s. Come on, somebody. Um, my dad gets invited to go to church. And, um, and look at what happened because he did. I'm leading a church in Michigan. Okay. And so don't think that your invitation doesn't mean anything. Don't think that your invitation doesn't carry any weight because when you bring somebody along, when you, when you share the message, you never know who you're sharing it with. And so because of that, I'm here and, and yada, yada. Right. And so then he made us go to church on Saturday nights. Here's what stunk about that. Saturday nights were the night where everybody went out in high school and got in trouble. And I really wanted to go get in trouble, not, you know, physically, but trouble. There's no cell phones at this time. And so then by the time we get out of church, everybody's done out where they're going to be, right? And so then I uh, lived in a real small town. And so what happened was I ended up um, stealing the key to the weight room, which isn't, isn't right, um, and working out. It's really what led me to, um, to compete and all those other things. And so, but the reality of all that is it kept me out of trouble, it kept me out of trouble, but I didn't see that at the time. And I really resented my dad for actually taking us on Saturday nights because it's my high school. It's, 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 it's my high school career, right? It's, it's what I, it's, it's those friendships. And to be honest with you, I don't, I'm only friends with a few of those guys now anyway. So didn't like, it was a huge deal, but at the time it was everything because I was missing my Saturday nights. And so then, um, that seed started getting sown into my life at, at, you know, at a decent age anyways. And right out of college, I jumped into ministry and into leadership inside of ministry. And what happened is my approach never changed. I still stayed even in ministry being a good churchgoer. I knew what to say and how to say and, 
And, and I knew I knew how. And it wasn't that I was a bad person. It wasn't that I was out, you know, dealing with any addictions or any anything like that. It just I I was very good at doing. And I'd created that habit at an early age of just, man, hey, just make sure everything looks good, do it better than it needs to be, leave it better than you found it, all those things, right? And so then when I received Jesus, what I want you to see is um, I didn't receive new life. I didn't really receive that. I received more work. That's how I viewed it. Man, if you don't want to make dad unhappy, you better not make God unhappy because he can just strike you dead any moment. And I got asked that a lot growing up. Do you want God to strike you dead right now? Right? And so then um, in John 1, John 1, 12, it says, But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's sons and daughters. I didn't receive sonship. I received more work. Right? And so in that, I accepted, my acceptance was, do not make dad angry. Do not make me angry. And so I got busy, and I got busy doing the right thing. And I created great checklists, and I created great agendas, and I created a massive workload that I couldn't carry. And I created the expectation to keep up with it, which meant longer hours, which meant separation from the people around me, right? All of this I'm leading in ministry, by the way. And so, um, and here's just some backstory on me. What I battled growing up was not good enough. I battled not good enough. And so um, I had the understanding that it could always be better. It could always be better. It could always be better. Because growing up, it was shoulda, coulda, woulda. Well, you shoulda, if you woulda, well, you coulda. And so then when um, I married that with ministry, what happened was it's easy because, man, Jesus is is perfect, right? And so then you start chasing perfection. And so then as we completed tasks and services at the church, I could never see the good. I could only ever see what we needed to fix. And so then I really stunk at celebrating. I couldn't celebrate that life change took place, that there were salvations, that people were taking steps uh, spiritually, that people were moving forward in their faith. I couldn't see that people were growing. I could only say, hey man, next time we do this, we've got to do this, this, and this a lot better, right? And so in my relationship with God, we're going to flip to the other side of this. In my relationship with God, I was busy, right? I was meeting with God and I was meeting with God daily and I was good at letting you know about it. I was reading my Old Testament and my New Testament. I was reading my Proverb. I was uh, reading my YouVersion Bible app. I was listening to podcasts. I was doing audio books. I was watching online service. This is real. I was, uh, you would give me a book to read, Come on, give it all. Give it to me. I didn't really hardly read any of those books, but I would. I'd, I'd open and scan. And, uh, oh, have you seen this service online? You need to watch this service online. And anything that you threw at me, I would do. And I would waste hours. I would waste hours of my life so I could be a critic. So I could be a critic and tell you what I thought about that message or or that book or that, you know, that audio book. Love audio books, by the way. And never once in all of that did I ever ask God, God, what would you have for me? If this, are, you, are you using this person and this message or this book or this recommendation? Are you using this to impact my life, to grow me? Psalms 139, God, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my concerns or lead me in the everlasting way. And then I add this last part, Lord, help me to be like you today. Help me to see you. Help me to be like you today. Lord, help me to love myself how you love me. Help me to see myself how you see me. Help me to be who you've called me to be today. Never ask that. 
I never asked that. And on the morning of uh, on the morning of the week before my 33rd birthday, 1 Timothy 6 6 wrecked my life in my chair time. 1 Timothy 6 6, he writing it down. It's a huge point. And 1 Timothy 6 6 starts out talking about the false teachings and the love of money. I'm not talking about money today, so it's all good. 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I'd read that, I'm not going to say hundreds of times, but I've read it a lot. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And I thought, content? Like, no, 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 sir. Because growing up, the way that I defined content was settling, was not good enough, was, man, just, hey, just, just take what you get. That's what contentment to me. And if you're smarter than I am, you know that that's not what content means, right? So let me finish this out. Verse 7 says, For we bought nothing, we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. We will be content with that. And so I thought, okay. Okay, I'm going to look this up. All right, Lord. And so then, content is, it means to be in a state of peaceful happiness. And again, you know that, that my definition was the opposite of that. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. I justify it with Colossians 3.23 all day long, right? And the synonyms of content are really, really good. This is what really rocked me. Satisfied, pleased, gratified, cheery, happy, glad, delighted, at ease. And this one was the, this one, was the one that just fulfilled. Fulfilled. What's that mean? That means... It's enough to be in a relationship with God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What's he saying? It's enough to be in relationship with me. I'm all you need. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So God calls you to be content. That's a bonus. That's a bonus today. And here's what I realized of the first part of my, of my life walking with God is I adopted a what and believed in a do. I adopted a what and believed in a do, and a lot of us do that. A lot of us do that. A lot of us say, mm, well, and this is just what I'm supposed to do. I have to do this. My wife wants me to do this. You know, it's what my grandpa did. My great-great-grandma wanted me to do this. Well, we're this because they were this. And it's just we've adopted what's and we've adopted do's, but there's no roots. The roots are generations behind us. And so then knowing that I adopted a what and believed in a do, it led me to do. It led me just to just to stay busy. And so then I identified myself with what I did. So who I was was what I did. And that was that was a really, really like just knotted up ball. I was married to that stuff like crazy, right? And I had this really great head knowledge of what God was. And so I did to do. And the thing is, is doing is important because in doing, we learn In doing, we learn, but it's got to be rooted in God first. It's got to be rooted in who and who he calls us to be. Right. And so the reality is I, just like you will never, ever, ever earn my salvation. I'll never earn my salvation, no matter how I justify it. And so then uh, how I would do this would say, uh, the Bible says, go, if somebody asks you to go one mile, go two. Right. And the reality of that that's a really good scripture, but I would take that and I could I could twist any scripture that had to do with work. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing, right? Just man, just get every inch out of it. And the reality is I was doing that because 
because believing in what you can't see leads you to have to prove it. And it leads you to work to prove it, to prove your worth, to prove your righteousness, to prove your belonging, to prove, to prove, right? Well, you need to know that I'm good. Look, man, can't you see I'm good? And, and the reality is, is, is it's all false. It's exhausting. Because one of the hardest things that we ever have to deal with on the face of the earth is believing in what we can't see. Isn't that what faith is? Believing in what we can't prove. You can't prove it. That's why so many of us as believers get rocked by, by non-believers saying, well, and it's because we lack that connection and that, and that consistency in our relationship with God, right? But that's why it takes trust. So John 1, 12, trust. It only take, if you only trust me, if you only trust me. And what we see is faith enables us to understand even when we don't see it or feel it. Faith enables us to understand even when we don't see it or feel it. And so we have to ask ourselves this. Do I believe who I am because of the word, because of God's word, or because of the world? I'm not talking about the globe, right? I'm talking about our surroundings. Does our surroundings define who I am? Or does God define who I am? Am I finding my self-worth in the Bible, in God's Word, and what God says about me and God's promises for me? Or am I finding it in what somebody's saying outside of here? Do you believe who you are based on what you think, based on what others think, or based on what God says about you? Where are you in that process? And if you're at the beginning, it's great. You'll never grow more than this day right here when you, when you make a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to stop listening to all the BS in the world and I'm going, to start, <laughs> I'm going to start walking in what it means to follow Jesus, to live in who he's called me to be and who he says I am. But it is a process. It's a process. Faith comes by hearing. How often do you hear? How often are you engaged with the gospel? Hearing. Hear what? Hear what? The good news. The gospel, right? It's Romans 10, 16, and 17, but not everyone welcomes the good news. Boy, ain't that the truth. Not everyone welcomes the good news. Fewer and fewer as of here lately, right? And so then, for Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? Who has believed the message? To believe it, you must hear it. That means you must engage in a daily relationship with God. Verse 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. What's that mean? The gospel. The message is heard through the gospel. Today, today, step one, if you're taking notes, step one is to understand and believe that you have <laughs> You have what you need in your heart to be the son or daughter that God saw before time. It should be on the screen if you want to screenshot it. You have what you need in your heart to be the son or daughter that God saw before time. Today, what you have is the freedom to be done trying to be somebody else. You have the freedom to step into and start walking in who God says you are. And so you can be done trying to build someone else's life or someone else's idea of what you think you're supposed to be, or what you've seen on the outside, but not who God says you are. You can be done with all of that. Or, or you can keep trying to be somebody that you're not. I did it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. 
And it's not that it's about money, but it gets expensive because, and it's not that it's that you can't handle the expenses, but the um, the money that it's going to take to uh, buy the stomach medicine and to pay the doctor bills and to buy the prescriptions that costs you. But that's not the worst thing that it costs you in trying to constantly keep up with the proverbial Jones is right. What not believing in who God has called you to be does to your mental, emotional, and physical health will ruin your life and every relationship that you're connected to. It will. Being who God says you are is a process of believing Him. Believing what you can't see. Faith, right? Hebrews. The goal, obviously, is to be like Jesus. God wants us to be like His Son. He wants us to be like Him a little bit more every day. This involves three things. If you're taking notes, I didn't mean for these to be in your notes, but they are. It involves believing through worship. Through worship. Belonging through fellowship. It's why the, it's why the body is important. It's why the church is important. And becoming, becoming, this is really what regroups are all about, and becoming through discipleship. By the way, I forgot to welcome our regroups today. If you're joining us in a regroup right now, proud of you guys. I'm so excited for what's happening inside of your groups. Thankful for our leaders. Thank you guys for leading and jumping in and being a part of what it means to become, what it means to become disciples of Jesus. So every day, Jesus wants you to become a little more like him. Colossians 3.10 says this, you've begun to live the new life in which you are being renewed daily and are becoming like the one who made you. Might have said that too fast. You've begun. You have begun. I'm getting to the second part of my of my walk with God. You've begun to live the new life in which you are being renewed daily and are becoming like the one who made you. Colossians 3, 10, the NIV says, You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. And the New Living Translation says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Real maturity, real spiritual maturity, stepping into and becoming who God says you are is never the result of a single experience, no matter how great and how powerful and just how awesome and how moving it was. It's never the result of a single experience. Spiritual growth is gradual. Spiritual growth is gradual. 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the message says, Our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. Today, we get to be who God says we are. Here's how. We must learn it. It's a process that never stops. That means you have to have a good pace. It's not a, it's not a marathon or it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? We must set a good pace. You must live it. How do I live it? Refresh daily. Almost every scripture, especially Colossians 3.10 has said that. Refresh daily and trust it. It's not about feeling. Do not be moved by your feeling. That's a roller coaster. Stay off the coaster, man. And you must lead it. Be it. Because anything else isn't you. The greatest thing that you're ever going to be is yourself. If you don't know what that is, day one starts today. Day one starts today. The greatest thing you'll ever be is you. Because, because this. There is no expiration date. There is no timetable. You can always be who you were made to be. It only takes commitment and consistency. Today can be your day one. Because when you become who he sees, you see purpose in everything around you. You see everything just a little bit differently because because you become who he sees. And it gives you a reason and it gives you your why. It gives you 
your why. And here's how I close with the second part of my salvation. In the beginning, I adopted a what am I now believed in a do, right? Which led me to do so I was wrapped up. My identity was wrapped up in what I did. I had a great head knowledge. I had a great head knowledge, but it had to make its way to my heart, right? And when I learned who God said I am, that he said I'm enough, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's enough. Be content, fulfilled in your relationship with me. I gained a belief that was deeper than head knowledge. It made its way into my heart. And I had a heart knowledge of who God is. And it's not that I didn't know any better to not do anymore, but I knew right now my life, my life is not about what I do. It's who I'm here for. And because of that, I identified as a son, identified as a son, and I understood what it meant to be. And so when we do this, it leads to understanding life is not about what we do, but it's who we're here for. And it's based on who he is and who he says I am because of what he did for me through his son, because of who he gave me, right? Not what somebody said and not what I do, which led us to redefining the church in the middle of a pandemic. My life is about whose. Can't tell you how we do this, right? I don't have a to-do list. If you want to steal this, you can. I don't have a to-do list. I have a to-who list, right? When we live like this, we understand that our lives exist to serve others. Serve does not mean work. It means serve. It's servant leadership. We'll talk that sometime. When we get it now, now we understand that getting it from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge means, means getting it from knowing it to believing it. But now I have to get it from my heart to my feet. And that's what being here is about. When I get it from my heart to my feet, you can see my heart and my actions because of who I am, not what I do, not, not an agenda. And in that, it's my actions don't have anything to do with what I want you to think about me. They have everything to do about who I want you to know. And that's Jesus. Because when you walk in the freedom of knowing who God says you are, the opinions of others mean absolutely zero. And it's the best feeling in the world. But you have to walk in who God says you are to get to that place, to find, to receive, to accept the freedom that it means to walk around and, and have everybody telling you how just dumb everything you're doing is and how you're wasting your time and how you're never going to make a difference and how it's never going to be good enough and blah, blah, blah. And you need to be doing this and driving that and being over here and meeting with these people and going over here and working for that place. And guess what? It amounts to zero. It amounts to zero because I know who I am. I'm a son. It's good enough. The problem is in the world, we want to race. And so, wow, I heard that before. What else is there? And that's it. And so we have to rest in that, right? Me and Heather's prayer, I'm closing. Me and Heather's prayer in coming to Michigan for two months was, God, where, where, where? And, and in March of 2017, we stopped asking God where, and we said, God, who? Who do you have for us? When we stopped looking and asked God, who? He said Detroit. It was super simple. It happened very fast. And so we come to Detroit in May of that year. He led us to Gross Point where we live, which I would tell you that Detroit is the greatest city in the country, regardless of what you hear, what you see. Um, and that I live in one of the most beautiful um, communities in the city. And 
even with that, everywhere that we turn right now um, can look as good or as bad as we want it to. If we want it to be a steep, great uphill, it can. It can. But here's the thing. I'm a son and I'm and I am living in the will of God for my life. There's no better place I can be. I would rather be smack dab uh, caught up in who God's called me to be with who God's called me to be in the middle of a stinking bunker than on a on a yacht off of Tahiti because this is right. This is where I'm supposed to be, right? And so then I can't do what we came to do. That's why we came. If you want to put it in a box, that's it. I can't do what we came to do. It has to be God. We have to have God. We are desperate for God to move every single day. Because what will happen here will happen because of who we are, not what we do. It's going to be through us. And that's what it means to be believers. That's what it means to be the body, the movement in action, right? What God said to me is it's not about doing church. It's about being the church. That's why it's redefined as offensive as it is to people. We must redefine people's expectations of the church and we must be the church and stop doing church. It's why our mission is to get a who to aware. That's why. I'm sorry. That's why our why. Our why is to get a who to aware. I've said that almost every week. We exist. The church, the body, redefined church exists to get a who to aware. It's why our mission is to lead people to live in real relationships. Here's the thing. The only way your relationship gets real is when you walk in and believe who God says you are. When that happens, you walk in the truth. And when you walk in that truth, that truth gives you freedom, meaning, your day changes and you get to live in a world where you don't need an opinion or an approval from anyone because you've already been approved because you've already been approved. And so then you believe what God says about you, right? You believe what God says about who you are and that's enough. And that's all that matters. That's enough. And that's all that matters. And so then dust, you've had me here. What are you saying? I'm saying this. This is who God says you are. I want you to write these down. I will get this out some way this week. This will be part of the PDF I'm sharing, but write this down. Write this down. There are 10 of them. They're not long. They're going to be super easy and super simple. Here's why I'm not going to tell you and read scripture to you on these, because you need to open the Bible and read it for yourself, because how I viewed contentment is not how you view contentment. There are words that you have different meanings for than I do. And what we need is God to reveal those to you, not me. Your hope is not in me. Your hope is in God. And you're going to find God when you open the living word and read it for yourself. And so then you're going to write down who you are and the scripture that goes with it. Here we go. Number one, you are a son or a daughter. That's John 1, 12. You should have written that down probably three times by now. Two, you are accepted. That's Romans 15, 7. Three, you are one with God. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. This is the promise of God. This is who God says that you are. Number four, you are justified and redeemed. It's Romans 3, 24. You are free from the law. Romans 8, 2. Number six, you are chosen. Ephesians 1.4 and James 1.18. I'm giving you the best scriptures for these, by the way. Number seven, you are bold 
and confident. Ephesians 3, 2. Number eight, you are complete. Colossians 2, 10. Number nine, you are loved. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and John 3, 16. And the last one, number 10, you are triumphant. You are triumphant. You overcome. You're victorious. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. I'm going to leave these on the screen for just a bit. This is who God says you are. Don't take this lightly. This is the truth. This is the truth. Nowhere else as a son or a daughter will you find this. Will you find this and the freedom that it brings when you actually believe it. When you don't have to prove it. You just believe it. As I close, here's what I want to tell you. God knows who you are. He knows where to put you. When to put you there. He knew what to put in you. And what he wants to do through you. All of that takes place when we start walking in and believing who he says we are. Do not lean on your own understanding. You've heard that 9,000 times. Remember John 1, 12 says all we have to do is trust him. You thought we were getting out of here without a Proverbs, didn't you? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, trust him, and he will make your path straight. Believe in the one who put you in that seat today and believe in who he says you are. Because the reality is this. If you let somebody else's idea of who he is and who you are mix it up, you'll miss him. You'll miss him. And if you've been missing him for any period of time, it's time to get on track. It's time to start walking who he's called you to be. We're called human beings, not human doings. It's who we are. It's who we are that makes the, dip, the biggest difference in people's lives. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to today's message. I hope that it challenged you and that you'll take steps this week to have a greater faith and to go deeper in your relationship with God. If you want to know more about what's happening here at Redefined Church, you can visit us online at liveredefined.com. Follow us on social media at Redefined Church or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.